Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 166 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. This is being recorded on Monday the 28th of February, planning to come out on, I think, Friday the 4th of March, possibly Thursday the 3rd. That's if we're all still here and Cranky Bollocks Putin hasn't pressed that fucking button. Now, I'm not going to talk about Ukraine because there's absolutely nothing that I can add that you wouldn't have already heard. I just hope a resolution is found as soon as possible without too much bloodshed. And we can all get back to hating Boris again. Hey! But before we get there, as ever, thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom we cannot create this podcast. You can help support the podcast from as little as £3 a month, which is about the price of a cup of coffee. And if you like what you're hearing, you can go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a drop-down box, which will lead you to the Patreon link. Over there, as I say... Um, You can support the podcast from as little as £3 per month. And if you're not able to do that, or you don't want to even, that's absolutely fine. This content is free for everyone. Well, a few months ago, when I was talking with my buddy Patrick Colquhoun, I did realise that I'd done hardly any episodes with um, potters and ceramicists. So I thought I'd change that and contact a couple of other ceramicists and potters that I know. I recorded with Carolyn Tripp and then saw that the um, the Great Pottery Throwdown was about to come back on. So I contacted Keith Brimer-Jones, who appeared on episode 160, and if for whatever reason you're unaware, he is one of the judges on the Great Pottery Throwdown. After that was Carolyn Tripp on episode 161, 
I'm still waiting to confirm a date with Claire Partington. But this week we've got the second judge of the Great Pottery Throwdown, Mr. Rich Miller. Now, not only is Rich Miller an absolutely lovely guy, he's got an amazing backstory, which I'm not going to spoil here. And I should add, this was recorded on the windiest day in 30 years. And although you couldn't hear any interference, the phrase of let's take the roof off nearly come to fruition at Richie's end. Anyway, please come with me over Zoom into the studio, or pottery, of Mr. Rich Miller. But Rich, I have seven questions that I ask every guest on the show. Okay. And the first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? I mean, that's quite a big question because I guess, you know, my, my work falls into sort of several categories. I think as it does for a lot of makers, you know, um, I think you speak to particularly ceramicists. They have fingers in lots of pies to kind of make a living. But, you know, I'm sort of I've been a yes to all man for way too long. So, <laughs> um, you yeah, know, I've consequently ended up with a lot of different aspects to my work. So I'd say, you know, um, my day job is is uh, I run a company called Froil Tiles, which is a sort of a handmade tile company. Um, it was started by Rupert Spira. Um, back in the 80s I've had it now for like 16 17 years nice. um, and we make kind of handmade tiles to order um, it was a small team uh, there's just myself and one other now we've kind of grown smaller which is actually because <laughs> uh, it kind of relieves some of the financial pressures of being an employer but is that due to technology as well uh, no, I mean, you know, I think very quickly, you know, when I first took the company on, I was sort of 26. Um, it was just a, a, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, um, there's a load of equipment going. You might want to sort of go over. I'm a bit of a magpie, you know, literally <laughs> any opportunity to pick up an old bit of kit for next to nothing. And I'll, I'm, I'm there. But, um, you know, was a, a friend of mine said, go and have a look, you know, and I just went in and I fell in love with the with the products. You know, I was already nice. a maker at that point. Yeah. And I was making my own pots and stuff. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, it, it wasn't ever about you know sort of making i mean i guess part of me in my mind was like oh, i want to build this you know huge corporation a massive you know thousands of square feet factory with a but you know the nature of ceramics and hand making it's just not like that you know it's so reliant on people and skills and you know so we've sort of remained small at most i had five people um you know myself included um and uh, you know we've just remained small over the years so you know and it, it's kind of nice because it, it means we sort of remain flexible um you know I, I feel lucky that i like the people that i work with you know <laughs> kind of, uh, you know they've become sort of best friends over the years and Good. yeah you know it's um it's, it's just the nature of the production but we do a lot of collaboration work and we're fairly productive for what is a fairly small team you know and we're learning all the time every job that comes in is different nice um so yeah but it's very much the day job you know um but i like the monotony of sort of making loads of stuff i get lost in it you know like whether it's glazing thousands of tiles or hand pressing thousands of tiles you know i just love that kind of the production you know i think people often talk about that when they're makers but you know i just i just find it's a good way of escaping and now yeah. you know, 16 years in my mind wanders i'm you know setting the world to rights in my mind while glazing you know tiles for fired earth sort of thing um well the nature of handmade and hand glazed tiles um i could imagine that they've been for some quite interesting clients yeah definitely you know we've worked with all sorts of people uh, you know i did a wonderful collaboration with kate malone um, oh, yeah, nice. architects for a building in savile row four or five years ago now we've um made tiles for the new pavilion at the tate gallery in st ives nice. um we do a lot of like restaurants nando's wagamamas um Brilliant. you know it's all we sort of fit fit that gap i guess where you know 
a designer might want something different or, 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 you know, we're restoring a house and it requires small numbers and the bigger factories wouldn't even look at it, probably because yeah. they're far too sensible to do so. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and so we pick up we pick up that kind of work, you know, and it, it, it's just we've sort of fallen into a niche. You know, I had no great plans, you know, to sort of um, do anything particular to sustain the business. But, you know, I just I was lucky my my folks sort of instill quite a strong work ethic and I love working, you know, and, and, and I love working with my hands, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so we've just kind of through, through sort of working and word of mouth and, you know, we've picked up some really lovely commissions Brilliant. over the years and, you know, it just grows, grows with time, I guess, you know, longevity in any kind of discipline, I think really helps, you know, uh, create sort of networks of people and, um, yeah, you know, and I love people. I love working with people. I love sort of, um, collaborating and you know we often offer sort of capacity if there's a maker who's picked up a job um, that's perhaps more commercial but that kind of client might like their I don't know like their style or whatever they do and so yeah. we act as their capacity so they come in and make with us and nice. you know so there's been lots of really interesting projects over the years that have just seem to have sprung up from nowhere you know and uh, you know my mum's always been like you know you never know what's around the corner and it's been quite true <laughs> you just you just don't do you, you don't know what conversation no. might lead to what you know so uh, did you intend to start the tile business when you went to look at the machinery no, 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 no. And it was literally, um, I went to look at the kit. It, it was due to close at Christmas and I went in on about the 19th of December. And uh, yeah, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. You know, is there any possibility of carrying it on? And um, bless him, Keith, uh, a guy called Keith Bramley, who was a farm worker who'd been running it for about 10 years. Um, you know, he was due to retire at Christmas. He'd had one knee replaced and he was about to have the other one. And um, but but he was just such a such a lovely soul, you know, such a nice person. And he just, you know, he'd grafted for 10 years and he was just grateful to see it continue. And, you know, it was all of the equipment was, you know, old, old equipment. You know, yeah. so we had a pug mill from the late late 1800s, you know, gas Brilliant. kiln that was sort of 80 years old. And you had to kind of polish one piece of glass you know turn around spit over your shoulder and you know to make it work it was one of those you know it had all of its own nuances and um and he just he just gave me time you know he came in I, I I stepped in so then you know the new year January I went in and I was literally left to my own devices it was like there you go and uh yeah I'd regularly destroy you know <laughs> it, was, it was you know um it was yeah it was quite a formative period I guess you know I mean it was uh yeah it wasn't always easy but then what what in life ever is you of know I mean, we all have our struggles don't we um and uh yeah and it was and it was nice you know they they had they were known already so it was just a matter of kind of picking up where sort of Keith had left off and then sort of building on it really um does any of the old kit survive yeah we still use all of it yeah oh, all, apart from the gas kiln which I dismantled <laughs> into a wood kiln yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> so that's the only thing that yeah I, I don't see anymore but but yeah we still use it and the, the processes are the same and you know we've moved a couple of times since yeah. um and uh yeah no it's, it's all good so that's kind of I guess yeah my day job <laughs> nice. and then uh i've got sort of my own work which which was has always sort of been bubbling in the background which i guess you know i only really ever took the tiles on to to fund my own yeah. own making really you know to act as my bread and butter um and that's sort of mainly sort of domestic pots sculptural work um and it's based around i guess sort of 
personal experiences, family history, um, all of that really. Yeah, which is, you know, which I'm still still unpacking. You know, it's um, I think it's one of those things that is always moving and always changing and always learning, you know. Um, How did you fall into the world of ceramics? I, it's an interesting one, you know. I don't think I had that like epiphany moment that a lot of people have with clay. But I think, you know, the creative industries, I've been, you know, art on the whole uh, probably saved me. You know, I found I had a, a, quite a tough, well, I say tough childhood, you know. I, I spent most of my days happy. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was just, I was in a really, really sort of rural rural place you know uh, village in in west sussex and um you know i was i was a, I, I looked very different to everybody yeah um and you know i think you sort of uh, you know um yeah it's just it was just it was just um challenging because you know it, 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 i was sort of I, I, I suffered a lot of racism um and at the time when you're a kid you don't really kind of you know have the knowledge to sort of process no. that and you know i just felt quite isolated and quite you know, and it, you, you often sort of, I think, I think my dad, you know, my dad was in the military, so he's very institutionalised from a very young age, you know, he was in, he went in at 15, um, probably saved his life too, but, um, but, you know, when he came out, he suffered with issues with alcohol and, um, you know, we just had a really, it was, you know, I felt loved, which I think above all else, you know, made life okay, but it was just, yeah, you know, people often say, oh, you know, kids, kids are brutal, you know, I was chubby, I was tall, I was, had glasses, and, but I think the difference I found as a kid was, you know, it wasn't just coming from other kids, it was coming from the adults around yeah, me, you know, yeah. it, was, it was, and it wasn't until society told me that I wasn't allowed to be here or didn't fit in, I, I realised that, you know, I was just a kid, I was, uh, you know, enjoying what kids enjoy, I, you know, it was everybody else that was telling me there was, you know, I was less than human, you know, um, wow. and I've just been kind of un- you know trying to sort of educate myself really about why that is and you know and I use my work I think to have you know the voice that I felt you know not until my late 30s you know I didn't feel comfortable talking about it probably till my late 30s really um and uh you know because you you know my dad was always like you know he came in the in the in the early 60s and his dad came in in the late 50s and my dad was always just like get on with it don't be one of those people with a chip on your shoulder just you know just get on in life you know treat people how you want to be treated and don't go yeah, that doesn't always work though does it but that's it you know yeah that's it exactly you know that's, it, as, that's all right as long as everyone else has got that same attitude isn't yes, it exactly exactly you know and all that stuff as I say it wasn't coming from me so I found it quite difficult you know and uh, I, I still you know you see the same cycles perpetuating themselves now do you know what I mean you know I I often think about when I was a little kid with my nan so my mum's from rural North Wales like grew up in a really kind of um a sort of cob house they made all their own clothes you know it was she was a real maker um my dad similarly had you know similar sort of uh experience in South America in Guyana um and uh you know I often find that it's sort of yeah there's such parallels actually between their experiences. Um, but you know, they just, they had very, very different experience in the UK. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. But I, I say, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't feel strong enough to talk about it, I guess. And I found art, um, a way of kind of exploring ideas and thoughts and it's almost like I could make it and the, the idea and the thought was documented and permanent. Um, but I didn't have to say it, you know, it no. was just, it was something that, you know, and, and, and it always kind of creates conversation. Yeah, well, that's the ideal thing with creatives. 
um, you're able, like, like you just said, you're able to express what you feel without having to sort of put your head above the parapet yeah. in front of everyone and, and sort of say, and and more the fact, you're sort of doing it silently. You haven't yeah. got to answer any questions. You've only got to ask the questions, you know. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think the, 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 the lovely thing about creative people generally is, you know, um, you they're, they're just they're just interested in engaging with people and work and ideas and and like you know when I went to college I left school and as I say school was very tough because I was you know the only black male in a school of a thousand kids you know and it was it was so it was it was tough um and uh, you know and we there was a lot of military kids in that area and um you know a lot of traveler families and so it was just a really sort of um you know I didn't get a good education because I spent I just spent my time trying to survive really yeah um and uh, yeah you know and I think you know when I got into into college to do art it was the first time I didn't feel like you know I was being judged based around the way I looked you know I yeah. just I was I was free to kind of explore what I wanted to explore and do what I wanted to do you know and people were interested in that more than they were who I was they yeah. didn't care you know and everybody well, was different it's pretty amazing that, that people come out the other side with all their faculties isn't it after living several years like that you know yeah. The, the, yeah. the most formative years yeah but you know I just feel lucky that I'm here talking to yeah. you you know if if I, if if things had gone differently it could be a very different story you know I mean uh, as as I say my mum's mum lived in Ryslip so we used to travel up to Ryslip every every uh, every um month we'd go up on the train um and you know I remember we sometimes we'd clash with the football you know if the football was on <laughs> yeah. and uh, and that was just you know I remember I must have been about six or seven because I remember it it was one of my earliest memories and we sat we got on this train it was absolutely rammed with football fans and my mum was you know holding my hand as if you know yeah, I'm not letting go sort of thing and I remember this guy he was a bit drunk whatever you know and he came up and he's like what the f you doing with this little wog where are you taking <clears> on? what's going on and blah 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 and started pushing me and my mum around you know like yeah. what you know it was quite really really aggressive you know anyway so consequently sort of beyond that couple of couple of couple of months you know somebody give me one of those little like swiss army knives with uh, my name on it you know yeah, which yeah, was yeah. back in the sort of 90s sort of thing um and i remember you know i'd sort of put that in my pocket and take it with me you know and i thought right if anybody you know if anybody messes with me or my mum i'm gonna you know I, I'm, I'm gonna look after us sort of thing and i just think you know it's it's um I easily done mate isn't it it's but you know yeah that's it you know and had 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 that situation arisen I could have got into real trouble because I didn't know what I was doing I was no. a kid I was just scared and I think you know a lot of the kids that are on the streets and you know carrying knives carrying weapons it's that same fear you know self-preservation um, isn't it exactly yeah exactly it's fear of their situation and you know it well I'm, I'm you know rather them than me you know and you just think that that whole cycle just just kind of perpetuates itself yeah. and you know I think there's still a lot of fear out there you know of whether it's kind Kind of fear of your other peers or gangs or whatever it might be um but you know and i think i think certain aspects of society have become more divided certainly you know yeah. uh since since when i was a kid but but yeah you just think you just feel really lucky because i've encountered really lovely people you know in right. the field that i'm in and i've sort of um you know my path has kind of woven its way in such a way that you know um yeah i can still make stuff i'm here talking to you and you, you started an art course at college 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't get particularly good exam results, so I went into the sort of GMVQ program, yeah, um, which was amazing because it was just like full time art, you know. Yeah. I just I just I never, you know, I always wanted to go every morning. I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave. It was the same at uni, you know. I then went to do a ceramics degree um, at Farnham, um, and that was just mind blowing, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. because you had everybody there, you know different genders different races you know every, everything age yeah. groups you know you just encountered everybody and uh um yeah you know so so I, I went to do ceramics degree and uh yeah and i've just been making since i just you know i just love as i say getting lost in in process in making stuff and uh and that and that, that hasn't changed you know so i go f- go from making tiles all day at the workshop here to <laughs> going home and i've got a little shed and i just make work all evening i just feel lucky that I'm able to make a living from doing that, you know. When did you start looking at colonialism in your work? So, again, you know, I guess it's it's partly due to that kind of unpacking of of, of my sort of uh, experiences growing up. Because my dad, as I say, he was in the Marines. Um, he went in doing um, as a as a um, a bandsman. You know, as a musician, he loved music, but he couldn't. His dad. Uh, died of cancer when he was uh, 12 so 15 you know just to earn a living he so yeah they came over to this country within a couple of years his dad passed away Um, he went into the into the military and but you know he was fiercely proud of his military career you know and in the 30 years he was in he you know he um, he earned respect which I think meant a lot to him and and he, he met royals and you know so around the house you know we had a lot of like his hat pin badges a lot of um, you know the photos of him meeting Princess Anne and yeah, all these things yeah. so you know the, the royal family were always you know I felt quite proud to be British and proud to to, to have an institution like the royal family um, you know and it's only it's only sort of um, through learning about, as I say, sort of uh, colonial, educate myself about British history. Yeah. Um, you know, as I as I would hope anybody British would be interested in, um, that I've sort of learned more about about you know how I've ended up here, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I just I just find the whole thing fascinating, you know, because it's it's shaped it shaped the world we live in, you know. Um, Britain's kind of legacy, you know, in you know, and, and and for such a small island to be on such a world stage as it has been over the years, you know, it's kind of it's shaped shaped the country we live in, and um, and certainly shaped some of the experiences I've had um, living in it. Um, you know, my dad was from Guyana in South America; it was a British colony um, up until '66. Uh, you know, Guyana being given back to the, it was slightly overshadowed by the World Cup. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of, I guess it started out feeling like it was trying to figure out why I had a right to be here because I've been told for so many years that, or had been told for so many years that I didn't. And uh, and it's just it's just turned into sort of a realisation that it's actually, broadly speaking, just, it, you know, it touches everybody that lives yeah. here in this country. And it's such an important part of our history that, you know, didn't know anything about really. And so it's just it's just been, as I say, it's been a, an education for myself that I felt... I missed out on you know um i mean we did roots at school we did you know we watched the television adaptation when i was about 12 and then for the next sort of six months to a year i got called kunta kente which wasn't wow. that pleasant um, how old are you could i ask i'm 40 now yeah yeah just turned 40 this year um, i remember when roots came on when i was a kid yeah i remember it coming on because i was so young i just saw black people outside i didn't realize yeah. how they got there yeah i thought they just yeah. moved there you know when i was 
I was that young. That's and then it, yeah. You sort of watch that, and because you watch it weekly, and it was quite a long series from what I can remember. And week by week, you know, you sort of, oh, hold on a minute. There's like a small realization of, of how some of the yeah. people that I see outside my window could have got this to is this it. country, you know. Yeah, this is it, you know. And I think, you know, I, I didn't have a, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, have a sense of black culture. I didn't have a black culture, you know. I, I often, you know, I laugh about it with my wife because, you know, if I go into a, into a crowded pub and, you know, there's a black guy, I'm like, oh, there's a black guy. The same thing, you know, whereas yeah. if it's a pub full of white people, it's just, you know, because I didn't have growing up, I didn't have any kind of black culture or any sense of like, uh, you know, I was just inside my eyes looking out. So I didn't, I, and I didn't see anybody black. I didn't, you know, um, have any black community or, yeah. um, you know, my dad was away, you know, every, a lot of people when we first moved into the village we lived in uh, when I was two, you know, thought I was adopted because my mum is white and, you know, I was a little black kid and they just thought I was a ad little ad adopted child, you know. Yeah. Um, so I sort of, I didn't have that kind of, so, you know, I, and, and then school didn't provide that, you know, because it was a curriculum based around sort of, um, I guess, a kind of a, a whitewashing of the whole. <laughs> and I loved history, you know, I loved yeah. history. Um, and I just think, you know, that I just think it's sad that just sensible conversation isn't encouraged because I think, you know, you seem to get these sort of, this polarization and these extreme views that just become so divisive. It would just be lovely if, if we could all just talk about it. Cause it, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to change my situation, but it just no. would have been nice to have felt like conversation was okay. You know, yeah. well, it's uh, starting to happen now in schools, isn't it? You know, and I, I, we had an artist on here a few months ago called Lisa Vandy. Yeah. And she come from your area. Um, okay. Or further down, I think it was down near Brighton. It was West Sussex ah, anyway. Yeah. Um, and she was adopted into a white family. Yeah. She didn't realise that she was any different from her mum and it. dad. And and she was a, she was a, a few years older than me, if if she doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> but she was getting pointed at in the street, and people were calling her mum out. You know. Yeah, asking what that is in the pram sort of thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely, definitely relate to those sorts of experiences. You know, and it makes you very fearful. You know, fearful of of life. You know, I think. Um, you know, I, I often talk to actually my wife about it because she sort of says, you know, growing up as a female um, and walking the streets at night or walking the streets in the day alone, and you know that sense of feeling like she's being watched or she's being, you know, I mean, for obvious very very different reasons um but i had that same sense that you know because i didn't belong i was fearful of you know the repercussions of being out on my own yeah. late at night you know until i was in my teens and then i just got you know drunk <laughs> just got pissed and didn't care but um you know i just i just think yeah yeah you know i think it's 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 one of those things it's um I sort of almost feel ashamed that I have to be talking about it into yeah. my forties, but you know, it's just, it is getting better. And I've, I've got a daughter who's six now and she's at school. And although she's aware of the color of her skin, you know, so far she's not, she's not had any of the negative aspects. You know, I had teachers at school calling me, calling me names, you know, and uh, it was, it was horrendous, you know, <laughs> it's horrendous. But it's I didn't hot, understand, you know, at the time. And but. saying it's, it was a different time doesn't really cut it, does it, you know? No, no, <laughs> no. And, and, you know, to be fair, it was, you know, yeah. it was. Um, I mean, in the early 90s, I used to have a security firm. We used to put like doormen in clubs and that. And we had a small club in Holborn. And this one club had two brothers on it. Who were, who were black guys 
and I've gone down to sort of pay the wages and we've gone downstairs and gone in for a drink. And it was a, um, it was, then it was called a ragger night. Okay, it was, like, yeah. it was, it was like the young black guys and it was, um, as I've, as I've gone in and like we're sitting in there having a drink, just standing in the corner, my mate Junior said, how's it feel being the only white person in here? And yeah. I looked around, I went, fucking hell, I am. And I said, that doesn't happen often. He went, yeah. you get used to it after a couple of hundred <laughs> years. Oh, <hell> yeah. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, incredible, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I was having a chat with a friend of mine. And I said, you know, I said to him, how often do you leave the house and, th- you know, walk down the road and think about the colour of your skin, you no, know, and what mad, you might think it? of that. And he's like, what are you talking about? That, I've never, ever thought that. And it's like, that's like every day, you know, yeah. you just, yeah, yeah it's uh it's bizarre. And I get, you know, there's that whole, uh, that old saying, isn't there? The, um, uh, you know, you don't know a person until you walk a mile in, you know, in their shoes yeah. or, you know, and, and, you know, try, try, try walking in their shoes for 40 years and then you'll know what it's yeah. like to be someone. Do you know what I mean? You, we can't, none of us can, can understand what, what our own sort of lived experiences are. And so I just, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's, I guess it's shaped, it shaped everything, everything I do now, um, to a degree, but, um, yeah, and I'm just still learning, still exploring those themes. Um, and because this is audio and people may not have seen your work, yeah. could you explain how you show that in yeah. your work? Yeah, so I guess my first sort of route into that was creating kind of um, blue and white uh, tiled pieces. Um, and that was mainly because, I mean, where, where my family were from in, in Guyana, they um, they're on they were on the Demerara River Um, and so you know Demerara the river Demerara was was producing sort of some of the most uh, um, high-end sugar um, back in the day Um, and consequently a lot of slaves were brought over to kind of farm that Um, but it was also fighting a lot between the the British and the Dutch um, because it it had a kind of an inland port where they could kind of load the ships you know deposit slaves and pick up the sugar um because it's got a sort of 70 mile in, in inland channel um and and, and i, I kind of liked I, I guess i guess i liked with that blue and white how you know as a style a decorative style it could be so synonymous with a single place you know everybody looks at what i make and they're like oh delft you know blue and yeah, white. yeah 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 and yes it is but you know it's also been chinese it's also been um you know japanese it's also been english you know um uh, uh british you know it's 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 just sort of it's one of those styles that actually has traveled the world with um people you know cobalt was a precious commodity um and associated with kind of fine quality wares but you know the blue and white tiles would often have kind of um, narratives sort of woven into them and they would either be like the religious affiliation of the family that commissioned them or um, they'd be something to do with that family's history and it was always affluent kind of individuals who commissioned them and I guess it was a, as much you know so I make sort of I throw vessels and I emboss them and then I sort of put little images which are kind of associated with my family history kind of British history I've been learning um, and, and, and it's as much about sort of putting a marker in the sand and sort of saying you know I've been here you know this is this is my experience um you know some might say it's slightly narcissistic i guess you know but it's it's that a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's that unashamed um kind of voicing of who I am. Um, and, 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 you know, I love the permanence of ceramics, the fact that we are learning about a- ancient civilizations from the things they made and the things they used. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, and it's sort of moving on. So I've now sort of started incorporating kind of um, toys from when I was young and just playing, you know, because I think, you know, play as a, when I was young was so important. You know, I was still when I was, you know, 15, 16, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, my release would be playing lego or you know i was kind of i was stuck in a space where you know i I just play would kind of free me from what was going on outside so how long you've when did you start incorporating that recently yes that's more recently yeah i'm hoping to have a show in the summer um and there's a lot of new work you know that some of which has been sort of um yeah a long time coming but yeah you know would you say that your work up until recently you've been trying to sort of show what you are and yeah. now you're showing who you are. Absolutely. I think, you know, as you get older, you just start to sort of feel more confident or less ashamed, you know, yeah, of, of, yeah. of sort of, and you don't worry about if people find things you do offensive. Obviously, I mean, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to make people feel bad, but I think it's like, it's okay for people to be offended. You're allowed to be offended. You know, I, fe- I you know, I feel like I spent the first, you know, 20 years of my life feeling offense you know, at the things that were said and done to me, you know, and, and so actually I feel, you know, it's only now that I feel brave enough and I feel, you know, having a daughter, it makes you feel, having a child, you know, yeah. you feel a different sense, you know, you feel an obligation to, to make sure that these conversations are had in the hope that things do change for the better. And, and, and like you said earlier, I think they have, you know, I, I do, I, I agree. I think things have got a lot better. I just hope that conversation continues. Conversation and education, I just feel like the root out of, everything for everybody yeah. you know because and isn't it great that you can do that silently just by a visual you know yeah. by by a cup that someone can hold in their hand or a, an urn that, that you can look at a painting absolutely. on the wall whatever it is absolutely and i feel like actually you know the throwdown you know as well is is me doing that too you know i feel How like did you get involved uh, in that so that was a yeah that was just by chance you know so when the when the the program started back in 2015 they were kind of looking around at sort of various options for judges various options for kind of contestants and stuff like that and um a a lovely uh producer karen richardson came down um because they were talking about having like one main judge and i think you know like visiting judges depending on what the what the um 
challenge was. Yeah. Um, and they were talking about tiles and a few people had said, you know, the ceramics world is tiny. You know, if, um, you know, it's a really, really small community. And they, they were thinking about tiles and they said, oh, you know, a few people said, go and talk to Rich. And so they did screen tests and all that sort of thing. Then they changed the format um, and they got, you know, um, two regular judges. Um, and they sort of said, would you be interested in, um, coming to sort of do technicianing and some of the kind of technical stuff because you know I do I throw I do a bit of hand building you know I've got quite a broad range of skills I guess but yeah so I got kind of um, got kind of involved that way really and then you know after the first year which was literally mind-blowing you know I'd never ever experienced <laughs> anything like the TV world it's um, an, an apparently first series of anything are always notoriously difficult because everybody's learning about the process of of making this show and you know fitting ceramics into well it's starting with no foundation isn't it it's just it's just a load of ideas that all of a sudden become real yeah absolutely treading completely new ground you know and then I sort of got more and more involved so you know um, Kevin Millward who designs all the challenges on there is just this incredible oracle of all things clay you know he's just mind-blowing and spending time with him was just incredible i knew him anyway you know and then and then then you know over the years i started sort of getting involved with the auditioning process finding the potters you know writing the challenges um you know and then i was just looking after the work you know for the first three series so i was processing all of the potters makes while they were away um and uh yeah it wasn't until sort of two series ago that um, the then series producer Sarah Thompson Willie sort of said, uh, "Would you be interested in judging?" And it wasn't ever on my radar, you know, Excellent. at all. Um, but I was just—I uh, was a bit blown away by the whole idea. I still am, you know, I still am because, as a, you know, I got—I got into ceramics, I guess, out of passion and just the love of yeah. being lost, lost in the process, you know. And and that hasn't changed, you know. Um, and then, so to, to to have that kind of recognition was just unreal, really. Um, and keeps yeah. good fun to work alongside, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, he's mad. I mean, you know, he's got a story. You know, <laughs> I, well, he's never going to run out of stories. Yeah. You know, I, I keep, I keep, because he's obviously released his book. I keep telling, joking with him, saying I'm gonna, gonna release a book called Stories from the Green Room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the after hours Because I tell you what, he's uh, he's certainly led a colourful life. Yeah, he's good um, fun. Yeah, but and yeah, I suppose he, there's always the danger working with Keith that some of the um, the unfired um, stuff could turn to slip with the tears. <laughs> yeah, there is always that. Yeah, there is always that. Yeah, yeah. No, he's um, he's an incredible guy. You know, I think he's had he's had a really interesting life, and uh, yeah, it's all it's a pleasure working with him. As it is everybody, you know, everybody on the show over the years people come back and they've just become like family you know um all the guys that work the cameras the producers the every you know everybody the runners you know um everybody's just so lovely you know and it's just this wonderful joyous kind of few months you know you kind of you get picked up out of your normal life and dropped into this you know this environment where you've got all these brave potters that are putting themselves out there making this stuff and you know camera guys spending hours and hours just like in the zone zoned in you know like it and and uh you just sort of make this thing together it it's incredibly you know i feel incredibly lucky to be the the feel of watching the program it is as if the 
the feeling of the process emanates, you know, because it's a very calming and soothing thing to watch. I've not done much with clay. I've made a few little pots, been on the wheel a couple of times. And as I said to Keith, I've got an ashtray outside that was meant to be um, a little tankard, but oh, it's okay. just an ashtray now, you know, because <laughs> it was only the base that survived. But, um, yeah, I've got a few little pots and stuff um, kicking around still, but what a beautiful process it is. I always say to people that, that haven't really created much before, let's just have a go at ceramics because yeah. or throwing, because although it is a pain in the backside trying to sort of, it, you're just putting a bit of clay in the middle of a wheel that's yeah. moving. It shouldn't yeah. be that bloody difficult. <laughs> but as soon as you sort of, bit of pleasure you get from actually yeah. making something out of a bit of bloody mud, more Absolutely. or less, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, it is mud and you just don't, I think you don't have to come to it feeling precious, you know, because no. it is just a lump of mud and it, it can be infinitely recycled until it's fired, you know, it's, and yet once it is fired, then it's like permanent, you know, that yeah. ashtray, people are going to be digging up in 2000 years saying, oh, you know, what was that made? <laughs> when we made this, you know, um, but I just, I just, you know, as they will with a lot of the things I made when I was first starting out, but you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, there is something about the material, you know, and I think, and and, and our connection as people to it, you know, that, that goes back thousands of years that you, you can't get around, you know, it's just, there's just something about it, you know, yeah, the tactile qualities that just the, you know, and, and, and that, that transformative element, you know, from that bag of mud, that inanimate, just lump of whatever through to, you know, something that's fired that will be here forever, just, you know, and you can use, you can, you know, drink from or eat from or smoke into, or, you know, there's just, there's so many, um, just so many possibilities you know and, and there's uh, something about we... having an object or an item that has got been made by hand got literally got yeah. fingerprints in it you know yeah there's there's something about that there's always that human connection to to that item isn't definitely there? definitely you know um you know we go i went mudlarking a a, a few weeks back really? you know on the thames and you're just like you know you've got a thumbprint in a in a roman pot you're just like that is that maker's thumbprint yeah. you know and it's just yeah it is such a direct connection like you did say did you go with a mudlarker or was you just walking along the shore so actually that's it's um yeah it's uh it's a project i'm working on with uh mike weber who's from the the london museum um he's nice. an archaeologist and you know you pick up what looks like a random pebble and he you know he will tell you where that's from why it's in because they've part. got eyes like eagles haven't they walking yeah. along the shore yeah, yeah, you've got to get your eye in, yeah, and they're, they're just, you know, it's just that, it's just filling in all that social history and that, you know, that behind all these things that's just so, so fascinating, you know. I mean, and, it sounds like I was aware that you've got this coming up, but did you say that was a, a book or a TV programme? Uh, it's not, it's not either, actually. Oh, it's sorry. just, a, it's just, no, no, it's just a project that I'm working on with a, an organisation, I guess, a London-based organisation. And uh, it, it sort of revolves around kind of, yeah, sort of finds on the Thames and that kind of social history and things. So, which, you know, I, I find fascinating anyway. Yeah. As I love history, social history. Um, yeah, you know, just, I just love the fact that, you know, I guess we are living history because everything, you know, history informs where we are now, but it's not, you know, you, you can't really plan the future, but what no. we're doing now does inform the future. But I love looking back and seeing, you know, why now is 
what it is because of what's gone before, you know, yeah. and, and those remnants that are left, you know, to kind of learn from, um, find them fascinating. And it sort of marks what's what's next down the road as well, doesn't it, you know? And yeah, exactly. And how things just go in cycles and how, it, you know, we're, we're all sort of living sort of versions of what was, you know, um, everybody sort of look, looking back with sort of rose tinted glasses and, you know, that kind of, oh, oh, things aren't, you know, they're not like they used to be, you know, things used to be much better. And you think, God, you know, um, yeah. we're actually in a pretty good situation now, you know, aside from obviously uh, the, the pandemic, you know, a lot of people live um, through sort of health issues that would have killed them, you know, only a matter of a hundred years ago, you know, most people, are clothed you know have a house and 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 can afford to eat although that's not always easy i no. think you know um but you know i think broadly speaking society has progressed which if there was you and five other artists or makers past and present what would your ideal group show be wow okay that's an interesting one well i mean one one would almost certainly be magdalene magdalene adundo who's my teacher at at Farnham wow you know I just I just sort of looking back I don't think I fully appreciate quite how lucky I was firstly to have her as my tutor um but secondly you know at the point at which I was in my career to, to, to go into a into a situation where she was she was sort of in a in a prominent role now Dame Magdalene Zando obviously but you know um seeing someone black in that kind of role was 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 instrumental to building my own confidence and her work is just out of this world i mean the quality and the, the kind of energy in it is incredible i really like um there's an artist called junkaniko who makes uh, very large scale um kind of ceramic pieces and will often kind of create these pieces in spaces that they can't be taken out of and then sort of smash them to bits to remove nice. them and but kind like of monumental yeah 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 sort of a monumental scale um which i really love um, so I'd, I'd say they would have to be in there. I mean, I would I would love to to kind of incorporate maybe someone like Bob Marley. I know obviously not around, but you know I think music and sound. You know I love I love sound art, and I just think you know I I, I often wonder whether he'd be doing something more conceptual or more you know um, because he was always sort of an activist, an undercover yeah. activist in a sense. You know I mean putting out these words, incredible words and music that's sort of as relevant now as it was. Definitely. you know when i was listening to it in the late 80s um so i'd probably want to have maybe maybe bob if this is like the complete and utter you know of course. anything you know um i would say yeah i'd have to have i'd have to have um bob marley in there um just to, to provide the soundscape i'd say someone like chris Ophelia, um yeah. who i've admired for years and years i went to the sensations exhibition in the 90s and apart from the fact I was kind of still in my late teenage years and, you know, it was very provocative, very kind of um, interesting uh, artwork. I just, I just loved the mix of Christopheli's work where he had the kind of the very traditional process that he then brought forward and used in a way that he kind of discussed much more contemporary. Yeah. I don't know where I'm at. That's what's that three, four, um, four. is that four already? Yeah. God, <laughs> um, who else? I think probably one of the sort of wood-fired contingents. I mean, maybe even maybe someone like Sven Bayer, who's a wood firer, um, makes the most incredible, or did, you know, he's sort of retired now. Um, but as a student, I went to see his, 
workshop and uh, and space and he just you know the order and the structure that he worked with and the, the kind of the attention to detail in the process that he had these you know made the most beautiful beautiful pots and it's that kind of order and structure that i i admire and strive yeah. for but never seem to achieve <laughs> um, in anything i do when it comes to a lot of things um but you know um yeah so he'd have to be in there because i'd just love to to look at his work I could, I could touch it and look at it all day long um so yeah it'd be quite an interesting mixed show you know from the traditional i guess it's where i sit you know i love the traditional stuff i love really kind of provocative contemporary work um as well but yeah i think they, those would probably be amongst my top five when i've seen artists like that i look at their practice and it's so perfect in my eyes it can go one of two ways it even makes you want to work harder it inspires you to go that route or sometimes yeah. you just go i'm never gonna get that. <laughs> uh, is it why am i doing this if yeah. that's the level yeah. you know if that's the the top rung you know, yeah. it's, it's miles yeah. away from the one I'm on, you know. Yeah, no, I compl I'm completely with you. You know, I, I suffer big time from imposter syndrome, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, you look at what everybody else is doing. You just think, yeah, why why bother? But yeah. then, you, you know, if you don't bother, what else, what else are you going to well, do? What I've know? said on here, Rich, so many times is I'm quite sure now that the only ones that don't get imposter syndromes are the in imposters, you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've all got right. it. No matter what rung you're on, you know. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're Everyone thinks they've done it on the, on the sort of seat of their pants, you know. That's right. Yeah. You just um, think, you know, somebody's going to find. I quite often thought that on the throwdown. You know, I'm there talking about whatever, and it's like some, you know, you're kind of looking over. Somebody's going to find me out sometime. <laughs> realize, like, you know, they weren't meant to invite me here. You know. Um, yeah. It's, it's completely bizarre, isn't it? It's completely yeah. bizarre. Okay. So I, I discovered art in prison. Wow, okay, I was, wow. I was doing a drug sentence. So I was in during Sensations. I saw the Sensation catalogue. Bang, that's where I wanted to go. And yeah. I wrote to all the artists in it. Wow. Out of I sent 32 letters out. Out of that 32, I got 28 back. Wow. Oh and, my and, god. And they god, sort I've of got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. they sort of pushed me through towards getting my degree on release, like several years later. Which wow. is, you know, when you said sensations, that's why a big grin come on my face right. because that was my turning point. Yeah, I just, um, I just felt like it was a turning point for me too. You know, I mean, just in, just in terms of that, that provocative nature, artists. You know, it just, it just made me understand what art was for. Yeah, you know, um, and which, Yinka Shinabari's work as well, which. It, you know, it, it doesn't look anything like yours, but it's, it's got essence of the same thing. He's yeah. bringing in colonialism and yeah. looking back to its African roots, you know, yeah. or his yeah. African roots, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I went to see Yinka's um, show at the Tate a couple of years back. I mean, yeah, I just think, you know, and I think that the lovely thing about, you know, I mean, I guess any other discipline, you write to 30 people in a, that are in a, involved in, in a situation that you know you probably wouldn't get a response but i think artists it's that sharing it's the community yeah. it's that sense that you know it's good to to talk it was those wow. guys that sort of just decided to write back and writing a letter nowadays isn't yeah. you know yeah it's an e email now you've got to give time to a letter haven't yeah. you you know and yeah, they I sent me through catalogs letters and um, wow! Just so much stuff, yeah, and it changed it changed my life, and I owe everything to to wow. those artists that wrote to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, and do prison? I, I mean, are people in prison still? Do they have access to kind of creativity to to art? I mean, is that something that's still the the creativity side? 
it's diminishing now. There's a charity that I'm on, I'm, I'm on the board of, a trustee of, called Kersler Arts. Right. And each year they put a massive exhibition on at the Royal Festival Hall, which this year is going to be curated by um, Ai Weiwei. Oh, wow. Um, exactly. And just yeah. gone, it was it was curated, the last one in November was curated by, do you know the designer Camille Waloa? Wow, yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah so she, she curated it this year. Um, yeah, and we, and we get art from every prison in the country, yeah, and put on this wow. massive exhibition. Curators wow. have been like Sarah Lucas, um, Grayson Perry. Wow. And, and likewise, incredible. I mean, I'm giving all the big names, likewise, it's been prisoners' families that have curated the show as well. Wow. You know? God, how interesting. Somebody will relate to what you've made, yeah. you know, and if they don't, then they'll be educated by it and that might make them relate to it and, yeah. and understand your situation a bit more. Because I, I just feel, you know, genuinely, I feel that's where the divisive aspects of society have sort of been born from is that lack of desire to just kind of be educated and, and, yeah. and, and engage in conversations that are outside of, of your norm. You know, whether that's with someone who's in prison or, or coming out of prison or whether that's someone who's from a, a different, different ethnic background or has a different gender to you or, you know, I just feel like we need that kind of ability to, to talk and find the relatable aspects of all of our experiences, you know. If you yeah. wasn't a yeah. maker, a ceramicist, yeah or whatever label you put on yourself. What <laughs> you would know, you like to be, do you think, God. if you didn't have I the mean, caps you wear? I, I, I definitely think, had I not been doing ceramics, it would have been archaeology, history, nice. or, you know, and I don't, I definitely wouldn't be at the front end, as I say, I didn't, I didn't, didn't get a particularly good education. So I'd probably be the person, you know, grubbing about in the hole as part of the time team type, <laughs> you know, just, just finding all these bits yeah. of interesting things or, you know, or maybe some kind of, uh, Hoarder next door, you know, I'd probably buy a field somewhere and just fill it with random bits of stuff, Brilliant. you know, that I'd probably use one day or, I don't know, or, or, you know, I mean, I would love to have been an engineer, you know, if I, I think if I'd have, if I'd have been more academic, I would have loved to have done, because I love building things, yeah. um, you know, I encourage my daughter to make all sorts of different things, um, you know, sort of living my, my, uh, you know, of course, my yeah. sort of, uh, desires uh, through her, but, you know, um, yeah, maybe engineering, something like that, you know, I think it definitely would have always been making or building or, um, you know, maybe even a builder, something like that, you know, I love, I love building yeah. stuff um and i love skills you know i love learning new skills um you know and, and much of what i do whether it's my own work or the tiles or whatever you know it's about kind of it's about skills um you know i also run a run a, a an arts um a, a festival a ceramics festival every year at, nice. in uh, november at, at um farnham you know and, and and we get you know we it's selected and we select from you know lots of applications but it's all about you know different processes and different approaches and different work and different people and so i think yeah i would have been doing something that involved yeah a, a making process of some sort and and ideally people because I, I, as i say i love people you know Perfect. i was only a child so i just you know i was kind of <laughs> in my own head for a, for a lot of my childhood so um yeah, the more I can sort of share thoughts and ideas with other people and, you know, and get that back, the better, really. Brilliant. Lastly, where can people find what you do, be it online or social media, website? Yeah, good question. I, I always want to be better at social media. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, I use Instagram. Um, I found sort of some of the other platforms quite difficult. Um, you know, I think that kind of, that idea that you're sort of, 
you have an anonymity online sort of worries me slightly um, <laughs> because I think everybody everybody's a critic I don't know if everybody's a critic I found I found actually the the feedback online is on social has been incredibly encouraging um, um, on the whole but yeah I, I, I use Instagram because I feel like it's quite positive a lot of creative people yeah. use it um, and on the whole um, yeah it's sharing of, of, of interesting images things that matter to people um, and what's without, your handle on there I'm at Rich Miller Potts yeah so I use that um, and then other than that, you know, anybody is welcome at the workshop here anytime, you know, I spend all day, every day, well, bar the weekends now, um, at the workshop in Surrey. So I'm either making tiles or making my own work here. I'm planning, as I say, some more shows. Um, I've just been flat out busy, you know, we moved workshops a year ago. So I've been literally building the place, you know, uh, learning to weld and building doors and mezzanines and um you know but but we're getting to the stage where i'm hoping i can open the doors up and invite people in because the space was designed around inviting people in and uh, i'm hopeful that yeah we'll get lots of visitors you know so i'd say the workshop here in surrey people are always uh, always welcome well you're saying that um you know you've moved into a new workshop and you're sort of building it up this is being recorded on the windiest day in 30 years so hopefully yes. you won't have to um, find <laughs> roofing skills by the this end of it. the day yeah, hopefully something will be left <laughs> by the end of, of the, the next 24 hours yeah as as i said earlier it's it's a great program to watch it soothes it you know you're watching people make you you're being there with them and being on yeah. that on that journey it's, it's yeah. sad to see people go at the end of at the end of these trials but right. that, that's the yeah. nature of that program isn't it you know yeah um, it's awful you know it, it's really really awful <laughs> it's you know i find the whole of that period although it's joyous because you're part of this wonderful thing that you know um you know everybody's so invested in deciding who has to go home is is awful you know it's sleepless nights and <laughs> you, know, you just yeah it's, it's just horrendous but because you it, know, it's a game that everyone's signed up to isn't it yeah. everyone knows the rules of the game yeah and i think you know when you speak to the potters because we all see each other as i say the ceramics community it's a small community of people um so we inevitably catch up afterwards you know and i think you know any of the potters you speak to always say that they've learned something from the process learned yeah. something about themselves or their making their skills have progressed um you know and that's that's a, a wonderful thing because you know when you're judging and you're sort of there you know you don't want it to feel like you're you know you're you're criticizing or you know somebody's endeavors because it's just that bag of mud like we said you know it's yeah. just a bag of mud <laughs> And it's only their mind and their hands that have made this amazing Brilliant. thing that's in front of you. So you just want to feel like you're giving sort of positive feedback that will kind of help them, you know, move their move, yeah. move their sort of processes, their their work forwards, you know. Um, but and then it, it's awful, yeah, to have to decide on someone to leave. But like you say, it's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a game that, that you're playing for a few yeah. weeks or that they're playing, you know. Absolutely. Well, Rich, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate you. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Oh, no, I, I greatly appreciate it. It's been wonderful chatting, you know, really has. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, mate. I just think what you do is fantastic, you know, um, and just 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 so vital. You know, I listen to your your podcasts anyway. So, you know, when you invited me, I was just so... so uh, oh, excellent. So did great. you? I don't suppose you listened to the Carolyn Tripp one, did you? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I've, I love her work. I've got oh, a piece great, of work at home and it's... Uh, yeah, she came to our show at Farnham uh, in November. Yeah, and similarly, those personal stories and, you know, uh, 
I just think, yeah, it's just lovely. But dressed up in something that feels like it's of a very different place. Exactly. You know? and yeah, Carolyn, and she's a lo- and she's lovely. I, yeah, I, you know, she's I'm great really stuff. Fond of her, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. No, and I will continue to listen. I just think, you know, the variety that you bring and that kind of. Um, you know, I just like the fact that you give freedom for people to talk about oh, thank you know, you, man. what it is that motivates them. You know, cause it, as I say, I, it's so important. And I just feel like it's that, you know, it's that, that thing that's missing sometimes, you know. Um, it's that sort of link between people and what they're actually making, you know. And especially where, where most people, creatives, are in a room on their own most of the yeah. time, aren't they, yeah. you know. Yeah. You need that little companion, you know, in the corner just nattering yeah. away, you know exactly all right yeah. rich thank you so much for your time mate i'll let you oh, get really back on with your day and i hope do, your roof mate. survives tonight <laughs> thank you got everything crossed <laughs> all the best mate speak Cheers, to you soon mate. bye-bye Cheerio. well hope you enjoyed that episode of the ministry of arts podcast if you're unable to support us on patreon leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Anything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, sad art. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.